0: Chapter 3, verse 7, if you dare say amen. amen. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These things says, He who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, and who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God. And I will write on him... My new name, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, thank you as we stand in your honor. Lord Jesus, as we stand in your honor, who hung on the cross for us for six hours to redeem us, we thank you. And I pray, Lord, now that you would take this hour as your own to speak to (laughs) us, Lord, that you would take away from our hearts and away from our minds the things of this life, that burden, that hinder, that cause anxiety, worry, or doubt that you would remove even from this room distractions, Lord God, that you would captivate our hearts and minds, that you would take our attention, let it be upon you, that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would make known to us, Lord, the things that concern your heart, just like you did to John, the things that concern your heart for the church. Let us hear your voice individually and as a congregation. We love you and we thank you. And this in Jesus' name we say together, amen. You may take your seat. You may take your seat. It was on November 4th, 1956, that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave a speech titled Paul's Letter to the American Christians. And in the speech, he delivers an imaginary letter that Paul wrote to the American church. And I quote him when he said, you can do things now that could not be done in the Greco-Roman world of my day. You can make journeys now in one day that took me three months to make. That is wonderful. You have gone a long, long way in material advances. But America, I'm wondering as I look at you from afar, whether or not you have gone as far in spiritual and moral things. Seems to me, America, that although you have advanced scientifically and materially, you lag behind spiritually and morally. You have allowed the material means by which you live to outdistance the spiritual end for which you live. You have allowed your menta- mentality to outrun your morality. And you have allowed your civilization to outdistance your culture. Yes, America, you go very high in the material realm, but how far have you gone in the moral realm? And see, most of us, I end quote. Most of us would agree with him in regard to our national moral problems. Even right now, as I speak to you, our tweens teachers, the ones, the men who teach the fourth and fifth graders, are being beginning a verse-by-verse study through the book of Romans. And this morning, as we met as leaders, they asked me for prayer and the rest of the leaders to pray for them because they have to address the gender identity problem deprogramming our kids from the public school indoctrination as they work their way verse by verse through Romans chapter one. Our nation has redefined marriage, redefined manhood, redefined womanhood, weakened the family. So now after 60 million abortions in our country, we would agree with Dr. Martin Luther King about our national morality. But we fail to realize just how far the national mentality has crept into the church today. Let me share a story with you that someone sent to me this week that absolutely crushed my heart. And give me a moment today. uh, This will feel a little different than normal. But the story involved a struggling Minnesota church. Cottage Grove, Minnesota, a struggling Minnesota church, is asking its older parishioners to leave in hopes of making it more attractive to young families. Grove United Methodist Church in St. Paul, suburb of Cottage Grove, is closing in June with plans to relaunch, remember that word, launch, in November. The present members, most of them over 60 years old, will be invited to worship elsewhere. That St. Paul Pioneer Presbyterian uh, Press reported, the church is asking that they stay away for two years, then consult the pastor, the new pastor, by the way, about reapplying. The Cottage Grove Church has struggled with membership and finances, and so seven years ago, the Methodist officials said they could no longer pay for its ministers. So the church switched to lay ministry, which meant that weekly sermons were done by, by members of the church, of course. And the attendance, of course, dropped off. And so the Methodist church has now decided, the Methodist regional body has decided that they will pay $250,000 to restart, or excuse me, to relaunch the church. They've hired, listen, a specialist and starting new churches to do it. 30-year-old Jer- Jeremy Peters, and excuse me, you can't be 30 years old and be an expert at <laughs> launching churches. <laughs> and so, and I read it and it broke my heart and I shared it with staff and those working here that day. You see here in, in America, And we're looking at Jesus pouring his heart out to his churches. See, here in America, we've almost forgotten as a nation what church really is. You can't have church in a box. It doesn't work that way. Church in a box is where you create a launch team. You have a plan on, on what and how you're gonna do it, you promote it, and you pick a launch date, you pick a launch location, and you stir up excitement, and then you launch the church. You've opened a business, but you have not planted a church. Because churches, listen, churches are not launched, they're planted. You See, to plant a church is like planting anything. You dig a hole, you put in a seed, You stay there for a long time, watering and tending to it, removing all harmful things for a long time until something sprouts up that grows into something that finally can begin to produce some fruit. That's the way it's done, right? And Jesus planted the church 2,000 years ago with his own life. Jesus says, unless a seed dies and goes into the ground, it can't produce fruit. And Jesus' life was the seed of the church. You see, a church is... Planted, not launched. You know, and today we got this pop-up church. It reminds me of the jack-in-the-box when I was a kid. You wind that thing up and this clown pops out and it entertains. And that's what's happening in a lot of churches today. You got this wound-up jack-in-the-box church launch, and these jokers are popping up, smiling and entertaining everybody. And what it looks like is, and it's, it's, it's trends. It's trends, you know, they've getting, get rid of the podium. We need a table with a coffee mug and a, and a watered down paraphrased version of the scripture. And I've watched these guys and I look and I've pulled them up and and they got 30 minute sermons where they talk. Listen, out of 30 minutes, I've watched Andy Stanley do this twice. I'm using him because he ain't local. Andy's standing in one of the biggest East Coast churches, 30 minutes message, 17 minutes in before he ever even mentions a scripture. You got thousands of people captivated and will not feed them the word of God. I said it must have been a fluke. I played another Sunday morning where he did the same thing. And so we see here now in America that we've lost an understanding of what church is. Our church is, it would be 12 years old next month. And it was a plant that began with a few people and hard work for 12 years, hard work to plant something, nothing that can just pop up overnight. How are you going to have a church without old people? You ain't got no wisdom. You don't know anything. Young people need to see older people. I need to see what 65 and 75 and walking with the Lord looks like. Amen. There you go. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And the older people need to see what running around and skipping and and, and coloring Jesus pictures looks like. Because church involves the whole thing, you know. And so as we look at the church in Philadelphia, and I know this will be a little different, and y'all have to excuse me. Sometimes the pastor needs to vent too. Y'all come vent in my office, so (laughs) uh, let me vent today. And, um, and then we'll, do, we'll get back to doing this the regular way next week. Um, and Jesus looks at this one church in the midst of Pergamos compromising, Thyatira corrupt, Sardis completely dead and devoid of the power of the Spirit of God. And he looks at this one little church, says, y'all actually have a little strength. And so look at what he says in verse 7. He says, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? I'm not going to get into the historical p- components of that until next week. Philadelphia, we know it means brotherly love. He looks at the church that was there in, in, the, in the city of brotherly love, if you will. Um, in an in area, this church in Philadelphia, this, this city was planted, by the way, as a missionary city to, to spread the greco the, the Greek culture in that part of the world, and I'll get into that next week. But he says, these things says, look at this, he who is holy, he who is true, and he who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. And we begin to fathom what Jesus is getting at, because the difference between what Jesus says to the church of Philadelphia and what he said to the other churches is very distinct to the other seven, six churches he uses parts and images of himself from chapter 1, as I've already taught you, to present himself to the church. In other words, he would present himself to them as to what they were lacking or in need of. Like last week when he wrote to Sardis, he says, I'm he who has the seven spirits, meaning y'all are dead, and I'm the one with the complete and powerful work of the Holy Spirit to offer you that which will revive you and wake you up. Okay, You get my point, right? But this week, he uses no language from Revelation chapter 1. In fact, it's almost as if he is simply identifying with the church that he has nothing negative to say about them. And so look at what he says. These things says he who is holy and he who is true. We know that we are to be holy because he's holy. Holy for us means to be set apart, cleansed by the Lord and set apart for his own use. And so Jesus says to them that I'm the one who is holy. And I think in some, in some sense of this, I think the Spirit is saying that Jesus was identifying with a church that was holding on to him. In the midst of a culture that had forgotten what that's supposed to be. That's kind of where we're living today. And he says, he who is holy, the only one who is holy, and he who is true. In other words, Jesus is truth. The world today has forgotten what truth is. Pilate looked at Jesus and said to him, what is truth? And truth was sitting before him. And today in America, our government doesn't understand truth anymore. They can't discern truth in Congress. They can't see it. It doesn't make sense for them any longer. And the scary part is that the church is forgetting it as well. And the church is being Impacted by our culture of our country, as opposed to standing for truth and being holy. So Jesus said to Philadelphia, "I'm the one who's holy, and I'm the one who truth. I'm addressing you, and I see, I see where you are. This is what Jesus has called us to be. And we can't become so weakened as American Christians that we forget to make a stand for the Lord and His truth. Notice what Jesus says." These things says, he who is holy and he who is true. And notice he says this, y'all. He who has the key, notice, of David. Now, what is he getting into there? He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Now he's writing to the angel of the church, and you all already know that the angel of the church, the angelos, it means the messenger. Okay, so you can go back and listen to previous, uh, look in your notes, or look at listen to previous teachings. We understand that the letter is written to the pastor, bishop, or the lead elder of the city of the church in the city here of Philadelphia, and it's interesting that he hears that first and attends to it because Jesus just pointed that pastor and all of us to the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah during a time when Israel had forgotten what it meant to be holy and worship a holy and true God and what truth was as they had gone into idolatry. Israel now already been uh, invaded and in captivity and Judah about to go. And God sends Isaiah to prophesy to them of the coming judgment because they had turned away from the holy and true God. And in the midst of that, God calls by name, A guy by the name of Shibna, and he says, what you up to? I see you. And Shibna, listen, Shibna was promoting himself. You got to go read Isaiah chapter 22. This guy named Shibna was promoting himself, and it was all about him, and it was all about what he was doing, and God says, I see you. I'm about to take you like a ball and cast you out of here. I didn't make that up. God said it in the Old Testament. (laughs) Some of the stuff, you got to read the Bible. God is, I mean, he's serious. And and it's amazing to hear some of the language. I'm going to cast you out of here like a ball. And then he says, I'm going to raise up this other guy, Eliakim. And he's going to be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And then in Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22 on the screen, God says this of Eliakim. He says, the key of the house of David, I will lay on his shoulder. So he shall open and no one will shut and shut and no one would open. And I will secure him like a peg, it goes on to say. In the midst of corruption all around and people who have forgotten the holy and true God, God has someone that was faithful. And he says, I will lay upon him who will be a father to my people. This ministry And Jesus is saying now, because it speaks ultimately of Jesus' ministry, Jesus says, I'm the one who has the key of the house of David. And we understand the Bible says that all authority of heaven and of earth has been laid upon Jesus by his Father. We know that. Amen? And he's going to show and demonstrate that as we get further into the book of Revelation. And Jesus said, I have all power. I have all authority. And I'm the one who sees what's going on in Philadelphia. And I'm the holy and the true one. And likewise today as the church is promoting itself and pastors are more like entertainers a lot of times and the church is in idolatry because they lift pastors up too high. I grew up in the South in the Baptist church and I've watched through the years the, all of the, the shift within that church and the, and the, 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 uh, all the appreciation services as it becomes more about, uh, a person then it does. Uh, it is about the one who gets preeminence, who is Christ. And so the, the church is, is losing its way. It's promoting itself. It's doing its thing. And the one who is holy and who is true sees all of it. And notice what he says to them. He says, I'm the one who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. So I'm in control. And then he says in verse 8, he says to them, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, which I'll come back to, and no one can shut it. I love this. Jesus says, I'm the one in control. No one can shut it. And notice what he says. For you actually have, you have a little strength. Get this. When Jesus says to Philadelphia, you have a little strength, Jesus is not putting them down. It almost sounds like that sometimes in our hearing. But what we have to understand as believers, Bible believers, stay awake and listen to me, is that there is no life, there is no power, there is no strength unless it comes from God in the church today. So when he says you have a little strength, it's a huge compliment to them. It's saying, hey, Philadelphia, you actually have a little strength. Somebody get a bottle of water. That's what we do, get a bottle of water in case. Thank you. You actually have a little strength. In other words, there is the power of God going on within you, Philadelphia. You are hold on. You are doing the right things. You actually have a little strength. And the interesting thing is this word strength, when I looked it up in the Greek, it's the word dunamis. How many of you, if you've been here for a while, know that word, but how many of you know what the word in the Greek dunamis means? That's good. That's enough of you. Yes, it does mean power. Dynamite, actually. And it often speaks of that of the Holy Spirit. That's the way Jesus used it for the first time in the book of Acts as he was saying to them that you shall receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then you shall be witnesses to me. Wait in Jerusalem because you have no strength, but you will have a little when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then you can be witnesses to me. That's basically what Jesus said to them. Y'all know that, right? Okay. So they actually have a little strength. The Holy Spirit is moving and working in Philadelphia. But why? Well, look at this. It wasn't because they had the little table, the trendy table instead of the podium. And it wasn't because they had a concert every Sunday with the amazing band that also had a light show and a fog machine. And it wasn't because the website was tight. It wasn't because they knew what they were doing. And they all, because see, all the churches go to the same conference on how to launch. That's why they do all the same dead stuff. I'm just being real with you. I hope that church, by the way, in Minnesota fails miserably because they are dead. He said, it's because, look at it with me. You have a little strength. You have, notice he says, have kept my word and have not denied my name. Two simple little things. You've kept my word. Listen. And I'm going to go back up here in a minute. But this word kept in the Greek, you can look it up in your Strong's Concordance. I'll butcher it. Uh, Tereo, it actually means to attend, to carefully, to guard, and to observe. When he says that you have kept my word, he's saying that you've attended to it carefully and guarded it and you've observed it, I believe. In other words, two things. Number one, you kept my word in that you didn't cast it aside for all the other stuff and then just bring a little bit out and put it on the, on the screen in the message version or something. He didn't say that. No, he said you have kept it as the main thing and you shepherds have fed it to your congregations you have spent time in it little by little explaining it and applying it you have let it have a work in your life and you've lived it out You have read it, you have studied it, you have applied it, and you have lived it. God's Word is the authority for the church. It is the instruction manual for the church. We know that it washes us, it strengthens us, it gives us faith, it gets us where we need to be. It gives us, if you will, the, the perfect will of God, an understanding of what that should be in our lives. In fact, it answers your personal questions. Man, individually and corporately. Man, I go into the word of God, and God speaks to me about my life. He points out things in me and about me that he needs to deal with. And he gets me on track, and then he comforts me, and he gives me this faith that I get up from. Because one of my gifts is a gift of faith. The gift of faith is somebody that can do something that don't make sense and be okay doing it because they trust God, you know? (laughs) If we forget that, that's a gift. But he shows me things in his word individually, and he's actually done that for me corporately. And I'm going to get into that in a moment. And this is extremely important because the word of God is the voice that speaks to the church and the Christian. It does. It's how we've been led for 12 years. It's how Calvary Chapel as a movement has been led for almost 60 years, almost 3,000 churches worldwide. And it's because given the word of God, a voice means that the church it can hear from God. See, here's the problem. A lot of churches are dead because they no longer can hear his voice. Or and even if they hear, they no longer have the conviction in themselves to do what it says. See, spiritual life is when you can hear from him. And you can recognize his voice and then you can follow him. I remember when we were praying or actually just beginning, I could see at the old building that there was no more room waiting in line for the bathroom before I teach. And back then, I actually, I told you before I had a jug in my office so I could go to the bathroom and I had hand sanitizer so I could shake your hand because there was a line and I, I couldn't wait. I'm just being honest with you. The building was small. That's what I'm trying to say. And people were getting upset. Sheep get grumpy, you know, and I, I said, I need, I need to figure out what to do. I need to hear from the Lord. And the Lord said, go somewhere, get out of here. And I went and I went to another city, and I was praying and fasting. I didn't take a computer. I just took my Bible and a journal and a note and a pen. And I was going to go meet with this pastor. I made an appointment, you know, been doing it a lot longer than me. And the Holy Spirit rose up in me and took me to Galatians chapter 1, where Paul says that I didn't immediately go confer with flesh and blood. God says, wait, can I not speak first? My bad, you know. Um, So I didn't. I went and spent a day fasting and praying and and, and in the word and writing notes. The Lord's speaking. I'm writing. He's speaking. I'm writing. By the end of the day, a whole plan had unfolded. So the next day when I met with the pastor, making a long story short, we just fellowshiped. God had already kind of answered all the questions. He prayed with me, of course, and I came back, met with the elders of this church. We prayed, and then it's it, it literally a miracle. I, I don't know if I told you this. We still had, I think, maybe, I don't know how many years left on the lease at that old building. So basically, God got us out of the lease and put another church in there, got us in this building. And in less than three months, the whole thing unfolded. Um, and those of you in, who've ever done anything in commercial real estate know that that's kind of a, that's a little bit too fast for normal normal conditions, but he speaks, he leads, he speaks, he guides, and, and that's how he wants to, to be in our lives. You see, but see a dead church can't hear from him. So they run to conferences and get a program. They spend thousands of dollars to exercise some program somewhere to learn how to attract people into it. Cause it's gotta be trendy and youthful looking for it to work and it can be just as dead as a corpse. I was at a funeral yesterday, it was a dead man who in a box and we put him in the ground. I don't mean any harm to anybody. Okay. I'm just simply saying, see, um, to someone who is living, you can hear from the Lord and you can do what he says. You know, the Bible says that a wise man loves instruction. The fool does not. You can't speak to a dead man and he's not going to hear and, and, and do what he's supposed to do. Y'all understand that? So a church with spiritual life hears from the Lord and follows him. That's what Philadelphia is doing. So he says, see, I know your works. I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, which is a good thing because you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. Churches, whole denominations are denying his name. I had to pray with the woman between services who was a school teacher, and her school says she has to call a boy a girl by a girl name, and it grieves her in her spirit. She hurts for him because that's where our country has gone. But denominations are doing the same now. Now, here's the thing. I believe that it's because they kept his word and they didn't deny his name that if you go back to the beginning of verse 8, notice what he says, I know your works, see, I have set before you, what? An open door. Now, what does that mean? I've put an open door before you. Well, we know from the scriptures, we let scripture interpret scripture. Y'all hang in there. Y'all doing okay? Yes. Okay. All right. This is my event day. We're getting to normal next week. Just give me some more time. We know that the open door refers to something specific. We see it in the book of Acts chapter 14, verse 27, when Paul comes back, him and Barnabas, from their first missionary journey. Notice it says, when we had come and gathered the church together, they were in Antioch. They got everybody there. Y'all know how it is. The missionaries, we, get, we send them out. They come back. You want to hear what happened. And so they all came out. And he says, and they reported all that God had done with them and, and that he had noticed opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. In other words, God had opened the door of faith. It was a specific supernatural move of God so the Gentiles could hear the word and be saved. Y'all catch that, right? We see in 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, where he says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. Y'all see that? So the church, the first church clearly understood that God had given them the ability to effectively minister to Gentiles in certain times and situations. And so they recognize that it takes sometimes a move of God, an open door to actually reach people. This is needful, by the way, because the enemy pushes against the church's efforts, as Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 16:9, where he says, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries." said so the door is open, but even though the door is open, the enemy's trying to stop. And that's why he asked for prayer when he talked to the Colossians about the same concept. Colossians 4.3, he says, Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word, to speak the mysteries of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. The open door in Scripture means a divine, supernatural, opportunity put before the church by God to reach others with the word. But I believe, although this is a missionary church, I believe that the opportunity to do missions and outreach is put before them because they are already, if you will, doing what they're supposed to do inwardly by keeping the word of God. In other words, the church who has the word I believe, gets an opportunity to present the word. And that's why I think there's an open door before us. But the vision for 2020 that God has given me is that as much as we are an outreach and missionary-minded church, we have to learn to do inwardly things as well to make sure that we don't miss anything. And we are a loving church, but the church has grown. In fact, it was in, de- in November, December, between hospital visits Funerals and just wanting to love on people and and just realize that man it's 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 more it's more than you know a couple of pastors can handle, and so God has now moved on me this year to focus on uh, solidifying that ministry even more. In other words, we got to make sure because on one hand we minister inwardly to the body. And then on the other hand, we administer outward to the lost. But the church is supposed to be able to do both. And if we're inwardly doing what we're supposed to do first, then the ministry outward is way more effective. Yes. So this year, God has blessed and surrounded me, you know, me with some additional men here who are retired and have availability. Uh, and, and that I will kind of put in task to the full-time business of making sure that we're ministering not only to the sick and the hurting, but also our elderly in the right way that nobody gets left out. That's my heart, okay? That's what we're trying to get done in 2020 because our leadership team has a heart to do it, and sometimes it can be more than a small group can can handle. So we want to be able to do that even more this year, that the ministry grows stronger inwardly so that when we're out, we've taken care of home first. Amen? We understand that. The same thing happened here. The Church of Philadelphia had a little strength. See, if we were living in the first century, we would have said to somebody showing up in Asia Minor who was looking for a church. Oh, man, you need to go to Sardis. Have you, have you been to Sardis? Man, check, check. man. They, that's the church. They, they, are, they are amazing. They got all the bells and whistles. You can go get lost in the crowd and live your life the way you want. But there's an amazing church over there at Sardis. Uh, man, Laodicea, I mean, he, I've heard about them too. Amazing stuff got, they got going on over there. A lot of stuff, lots of ministries, all the trendy stuff is happening, man. Oh, wait, Laodicea, they got a Starbucks in the church. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to go too far with that. I'm, I'm trying to not be, get too far off because I'm actually out of time. All of that is happening, you know? Amazing. Jesus looks past it all. Hey, Philadelphia, you got a little strength because you've kept my word and you have not denied my name. And that's why I put before you an open door. Now understand this. I'm not trying to say that Calvary Chapel Clayton identifies with Philadelphia out of the seven churches. That would be irresponsible. To think like that would be to close our minds to the application of the other six letters. Not what I'm saying at all. Not what I'm saying at all. I'm learning from the other six. The vision for the inward ministry didn't come out of the, you know, it came as I've gone through the previous letters already. My heart gets broken every week. God shows me something we got to tighten up and some things that are going good. That's what happens when you get in the word of God. He shows you stuff. But I think that for this year, this congregation, God is going to do something special inwardly as much as outwardly. And for those of you who've been around here for years, you've already, we've seen a lot of things. We've had some fun times. I'm so thankful that, you know, going from 20 to 500 and something, and we still have a family environment. And when we do outreach, it's fun because we're doing it together. As I was telling the, this morning, I had a meeting with the uh, parking team and the uh, ushers and the safety team and then the rest of the leaders. And it, reminding them, reminding them that all of us and everything we're doing is one unified effort so that the Lord can be blessed because there's no hierarchy here and nobody's more important than anybody else. And and, and we have to understand that. So in other words, for me to freely do this, I can freely do this because somebody's got the parking lot taken care of. Somebody's watching the door, you know, (laughs) somebody making sure the kids are straight. Somebody's ministering to the different age groups and all of that kind of stuff. Somebody cleaned the toilets and somebody made the coffee. Now I can just stand here And feed you the word of God, but it's all working together as we're one body, many members. And that's what we have to display for our town, not trying to promote us or anything like that, but trying to take advantage of the open door. And I'm asking you to pray with us about it and be a a part of that as we look at how Jesus moves within his church, because time is drawing near, I believe, for the Lord's return. And the last thing we need to be doing is playing church. There's enough playing church already happening in America. And the sad part about it is we didn't talk the rest of the world how to play church too. With our weak, watered down missionary stuff sometimes. And we do a lot of great missionary work too. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes, look, leaving our country in the plains is the good missionary stuff and the bad. It's all going over there. We go to Nigeria and got as much of the, the prosperity, heresy on, on there that you have here. And they still got to deal with the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons while I'm over there too, you know. And it's just all of this stuff has gone everywhere. And, and I'm just simply saying as I'm done venting now. I know y'all love me. That church is supposed to be a lie. And it's not necessarily a Pentecostal frenzy that proves this alive. It's simply can the Spirit speak by his word freely to his people? And they hear and respond. So today I would say as you bow your heads now and close your eyes that the Lord has also placed an open door before you. And when he does, no one can shut it. And as long as he wants it to be open, it will be there. But you, with your life, you need to recognize it and walk through it. Settle down. I want you to hear this, okay? As much as we as a congregation have to recognize it and walk through it, as individuals, we do as well. Individually, you need to turn to the Lord. And you need to recognize what he wants to do in your life as your head's about and your eyes are closed. One of the things that hinders that is the, the sin that we can have in our life. And one of the problems with America is there's so many distractions. And as Christians, when we have known sin, in other words, the Lord has shown us things, and we know it's not of Him, and we don't confess that. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So as you sit there and you have sin, only you know, heads bowed, eyes closed, you need to confess that before the Lord today. I have a, a woman from my women's ministry in the front to my right and a gentleman to the back, my right, your left, and a couple to my back, my left, your right, who can pray for you. And I would encourage you to go to them and pray and let them pray with you. But today, you need to answer the conviction of the Lord to hear His voice and respond. That's life. That's life. Don't walk out and ignore that because tomorrow is not promised. Right now, if you hear the voice of the Lord, respond. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I now want to deal with those who have never come to Him. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, but you sense His love and His presence today, raise your hands so that I can pray with you. With every other eye closed and every other hand down, just I want to see who that might be that would say, Today, I would love to be saved. I would love to have Jesus... Forgive me of my sin. I want to come to know Him. i see your hand in the back, ma'am. And so the Lord is moving your heart, and as you raise your hand in faith, He sees, and He will wrap you spiritually in His arms and save your life. And I'm going to pray with you before you leave. If there's anyone else, you can raise your hand. And So, Father, we do thank you. We love you. We praise you for who you are and for what you've done. And Lord, as we prepare to leave this place, I pray that you would protect every family and every person represented, that you would go before them, their cars, their homes, their their jobs, their classrooms, everywhere that we go this week. Be with us, Lord God, and reveal yourself to us more and more. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.